0: Welcome to the Sweeper Podcast with me, Mitchell Willis and him, Michael Hole. Hello. How are you?
1: V-A-R, V-A-R, <laughs> V-A-R. Uh, yeah, I'm alright, thank you. Had a had a very good weekend, football aside. And um, yeah, looking forward to picking the bones out of what promises to be potentially one of our most content-filled shows. There was a lot that went on over the weekend, wasn't there? Absolutely, and there's obviously only one place to start and that, Stamford Bridge. Yep, nil-nil, <laughs> massive game.
0: Nah, we're not going to do that. We're going to get to Anfield. Liverpool four, Manchester City three, and what an absolute thriller of a game
1: it was indeed, wasn't it? Yeah, and uh, even from the start of the game, you just sort of knew it was going to be a, a bit of a ding dong. There was yeah. uh, there was only really one way that Guardiola was going to set up, and 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 Klopp only really knows how to play one way. So the styles that these two teams have got, and you saw it in the game back at the Etihad earlier in the season, was it 5-0 in that game when Mane got sent off? Yeah,
0: and that was obviously the difference maker, wasn't it?
1: Absolutely, and um, it was great to see 11 against 11 in this game because it made for a really thrilling encounter, and um, I think that we need to start by talking about Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain.
0: Yeah, I I thought he was the best player on the park. Certainly for the first kind of half an hour, first half, um, got the first goal, and you know it wasn't necessarily anything special. He just drove forward, and he, he's he's got a good shot on him. But I'd say nine times out of ten, Edison saves that with with ease. And it was a, a bit of an odd one because he's he's been very consistent this season. You don't necessarily expect a mistake from him. And obviously the second goal of the game was was a mistake from Carriers, which you kind of do expect a little bit more, but. Um, Yeah, I mean, Chamberlain had a really, really good game, and I thought the midfield as a whole for for Liverpool, as as I'll touch on shortly, was was possibly the difference maker.
1: Yeah, it was. I think that Wijnaldum and... uh, Obviously, Henderson was missing for this game, so Wijnaldum and Chan had... (laughs) A little bit more license, I suppose, than than they may normally do because of the way that, that City set up. You've got to go and press them because if if not, you're just not gonna get the ball back. Yeah.
0: I, I thought Wine Alden probably had his best game certainly that I've seen for Liverpool yesterday. I think he's one that, that quite often drifts in and out and he might get the odd goal here and there, but and to be fair, he doesn't get picked very often as well, or certainly not week in, week out, so I think he really showed yesterday that he's capable and very tactically aware and was told to do a job and that was to close everything down and Liverpool from the word go were pressing as high as possible which I think teams have have neglected to do against City this year and I think obviously that was the the main difference and I think probably what you've got then is the fact they were so clinical in front of goal.
1: They were indeed and I think while we're having a bit of a Liverpool loving it's probably appropriate to mention Andrew Robertson and um, he was somebody that we talked about a lot at the start of the season because we couldn't really understand why he wasn't getting ahead um, getting in ahead of Moreno and since he's come into that team he might not be the most technically gifted left back but effort wise you absolutely can't fault him and there was a period of play yesterday where he closed down about three or four City passes and it just got the whole crowd up and you you can sometimes be critical of the crowd at Anfield they're sometimes amazing at the start and at the end of games but they can get lost in um in in such a massive atmosphere because of the fact that the fans are all obviously located in different parts of the ground and it can, it, it can be difficult to get things going but i just thought yesterday the atmosphere was absolutely electric from minute 1 it helped them get in the it early goal it drove them
0: on didn't it yeah it drove them on and you know you look at from when they ended up taking the lead again Firmino's goal was just fantastic. It was great centre forward play, and he showed strength and composure, which He's not the biggest player and, and he, he's got that in his locker. And I think they all have as well. You've got Mane and Salah who both, despite not being the, the tallest and the biggest, they do generally show strength week in, week out.
1: Yeah, I think that Firmino's finish was the best in the game. I think yeah. that um, they didn't really talk about it a huge amount on the commentary of the game, which I was quite surprised about. Uh, I know that obviously Salah's goal came about um, relatively quickly um, and, and, and that obviously got a lot of the plaudits. But I think that the technical skill involved to managed to get the ball up and down over the best goalkeeper this season in the Premier League yeah. probably not maybe maybe De Gea um was was just a really different approach because a lot of players in that position would have absolutely smashed it they would have allowed the occasion to get to them but to have the composure to 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 finish like that um just showed how much of a great addition he's been for Liverpool over the past couple of years and you know, obviously, they've lost Coutinho now. You would hope that they would be looking to tie Firmino down to um to a bit of a longer contract because the way that those attacking players can interject with one another is, is pretty much second to none in the Premier League.
0: Yeah, I would say going forward, you, there is a massive argument they are better than Manchester City this season. I think as a, as a front three, they're more dynamic and they will cause more problems. But I think they also offer you more, as we said about the, the closing down. They didn't get a second. They actually saw Man City on the ropes and just went for it. And I don't know whether that's just because we haven't really seen Manchester City this season in that situation, that they almost crumbled. But you look at the likes of Otamendi, who... There's always a slight question mark with me at Otamendi, but they got him yesterday. As soon as he got the ball, they were just on it. And that's how Mane hit the post, and then he scored the goal as well. And it was exactly that that got that
1: great finish for that yeah, goal really as well good. from Mane and, and and again it was Gary Neville on commentary and, and he said that he thought that he'd got lucky with the finish and sort of hit across it into the top I'm not sure about that the ball went dead straight and it, it, it literally it rifled into it. the top corner yeah. and, and you see the sort of goals that Mane scores and he doesn't conventionally look like the prettiest footballer in the world does he he's no. quite sort of leggy and um, a little bit all over the place but when he hits a ball it stays hit and yesterday was a prime example of that I think that It will be really interesting to see how Manchester City pick themselves up from this because they haven't had this feeling all season Um, you would expect them to bounce back quickly because Guardiola won't allow them to rest too much on this defeat in the same way that he's not allowed them to sort of concentrate too much on how well they've done so far this season and you you would imagine that the spirit and the count will be good enough and and they showed that bringing it back to 4-3 and that's where he got sort of the atmosphere was brilliant throughout the game and then the minute that those late two goals went in you could sort of see the Liverpool fans not not sort of not not again
0: (laughs) yeah well I mean even at 4-1 you know I was so excited to see what was going to happen next because they potentially could have stretched it even further but I think there was every part of you that thought that's not going to happen it's going to be the other way around but I was interested to see the approach that that Manchester City still had to that they were still pretty much going at walking pace and just playing it across the box and uh, across the back and the midfield being quite patient in their build-up and then eventually it came and there was two goals and I think they possibly had five minutes, not enough to be able to get anything from the game then.
1: Yeah, I think the issue with City is they can't take a very direct approach because the players that they have um, in pretty much the midfield and forward positions, they're not tall players, they're all relatively low um sense of gravity, they're all relatively small players and I think that by lumping it long you would have just played into the hands. Clarven came on late on, Lovran's obviously a big player and um the likes of Emre Ray there as well. You're gonna you're gonna get those balls cleared. But yeah, incredible game, um really enjoyable and um nice for once not to be trying to find uh, words to describe Manchester City victories.
0: Yes, it is indeed and I think, you know, we have to move on to another massive win and that was Spurs for Everton Nil and Everton after a bright start they had uh, St. Tossen started and they had a goal disallowed for offside but from there I think Spurs were head and shoulders above and Son again he he shows his value and again shows that he's the the secondary goal scorer this year to Harry Kane
1: Yeah I mean they've got the front four haven't they they've got Kane uh, Son Ali and then Eriksen who obviously plays slightly further back but of those four really if you've got two firing then you know that you're going to be on to a winner and that's what Tottenham have done really well this season is that when Ali's not been playing well Son's picked picked his sort of Um, game up and and in the same way that when Ericsson's maybe not at his best game Kane's been there to step up and they're just a team full of quality that Pochettino won't rest any of those players because he knows at any moment one of them's capable of winning a football match
0: but it's it's the way they play as well they don't play with any real width spurs now they obviously have the full backs that push on that they've always had but you know those four players that we've just mentioned more often than not you just see them go through the middle and that was very similar in this game they're very direct but very quick and and, um, zippy with it as well not in a a direct of a you know like Everton for instance who we would expect to be getting the ball up to the front men. you've got Calvert-Lewin up there with a bit of pace etc but Spurs fantastic I think for me Dembele makes a huge difference as well when he plays he's the kind of calming influence that that turns defence into attack that then just allows those four to, to flourish then
1: yeah, it's funny. Whenever you see any Tottenham player interviewed and they ask who they feel is the best player at the club, they always talk about Moussa Dembele and um, the influence that he's able to have on that side is missed massively when he's not in it. I don't think that Eric Dyer and Victor Anyama give you that style of football that that, that Dembele is able to implement from further back in the team. and um, he He does a lot of things under the radar. You don't necessarily... Yes pick him out as a as a watcher because you do tend to concentrate on the on, on the forward players and um the, i think the the one thing that tottenham do better than any other team in the league is their cutthroat approach when they go one nil up, yeah. they'll never sit back on a one nil lead and invite a team to come onto them and try and hit them on the break. They will just go and go and go. And they showed this again on Saturday. There was just wave after wave of attack. And if you do that in the Premier League, then you you might leave yourself open now and again. But generally, if you're creating more attacking chances, then you're giving yourself a better opportunity to win the game. And I think Pochettino's learned from playing at Wembley that they they can't try and protect goal leads earlier in the season you saw performances against worse teams where they came out of them with probably what they deserved in terms of a point or a defeat but yeah. of late they've just had this mentality that they will not stop until they get a few goals ahead and by that point it's it's too much for another team you saw that from Everton on uh, on Saturday they they just wanted that game to be finished with minutes to go yeah I mean I was gonna say about Wembley
0: as well obviously Sam Allardyce came out and he was I think he was quite surprised at the way they collapsed and I think there's a lot of inexperience there as well but and he was very honest in saying that he needs to make them a bit more boring but I was thinking you know actually Wembley does it play the part for for Spurs on a positive now whereas teams like Everton with some of these younger players who might not have played at Wembley before they do approach it as a bit more of a cup final so the games are a lot more open and, and, as you've said, Spurs have adapted that style to actually just use it to their advantage and go for it.
1: Yeah, potentially. I, I It's a difficult one because I, I think it depends on the type of team that go there. I think that you, if a West Brom or a Swansea go there, it's not going to be an open game. It's going to be really tight. They're, they're, they're not going to allow a lot of space. But I think if you've got a team who aren't necessarily threatened by relegation which the longer the season goes on the less and less clubs will become threatened by relegation that's where they sort of can have a bit of a go when they go to Wembley which is possibly why Tottenham have had more success of late because there's maybe a bit of a gap opening between these mid-table sides and you sort of bottom six bottom seven
0: yes indeed well let's move on to Huddersfield where I think it was a a bit of a surprise result wasn't it they lost 4-1 to West Ham and Huddersfield have prided themselves on that kind of strong home form and and you just we saw the score come through together and I think we were both very very surprised that that's happened and you know if if they'd lost 2-1 we possibly wouldn't have been as surprised but to go down in that fashion and um, against a side who, yes, are much improved recently, you wouldn't necessarily think that they were kind of peaking at this at this stage of the season.
1: No, I think that David Moyes deserves a lot of credit. I know that we gave him a bit of a bashing when he when he was given that job and couldn't really see why West Ham had gone for him. But he's um, he's instilled a belief into that team that they can go away from home and they can not only put performances in, but they can score multiple goals. And if you can do that in the bottom half of the Premier League, it's going to set you in really good stead. You look at the last couple of away performances I think they beat Stoke 3-0 um, beat uh, Huddersfield 4-1 on um, on Saturday like you said and that goal difference come the end of the season could make a massive difference yeah. um, and he's allowing those players to go and play with more of a freedom and, and you can see the difference in the amount of effort that they're, that they're putting in and, and I think that we've got to give them credit we'll come on to Huddersfield shortly but I think that West Ham in, in a player like Arnautovic who after probably three months of the season, people were writing him off and thinking uh, possibly about his next move. He'd, he'd just been so inconsistent. Um, but he's really thrived under Moyes and I think that they've they've got a different style of play now. They used to try and build up from the back and now they are probably more direct. They will put the ball into spaces and allow players to run onto it and, and it's, it's probably a, a relatively small decision for, for, for Moyes to make tactically but it's made a massive impact to that that football club.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, you look at the likes of Ar- Arnautovic, Lanzini and Andy Carroll, they've, they've got match winners there. You know, they've got individual talent and they, they still might not be the best team as a cohesive unit, but, you know, they have people like Arnautovic, who's obviously shown this weekend, showed against Stoke as well, where he was just unbelievable that he's going through a bit of a purple patch, and I think the only thing he lacks in his game is, is that consistency. He's obviously got a, a slight streak with his personality and his attitude, but I think when he's in this sort of form, you generally will see it for the next few games as well. And I think Moyes has obviously put a lot of trust in him as well.
1: Yeah, it's a really good point. It's gonna be um quite key for them probably to um to not make that many changes in the transfer window. I think that there's been talks of Andy Carroll going out. I know that he's been linked with a couple of clubs and they would do well really just to keep that squad together because you can see the potential there. I think they're up to eleventh now and they'll be looking to to have a strong top ten finish now which which when you consider where they were at the start of the seasons it's 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 a a huge turnaround for somebody who who a lot of people have written off. I know that you want to talk about Huddersfield. I think that it's only right to probably start with the uh, the goal that, that, that came from the goalkeeper mistake or the defensive mistake. How do you see this one?
0: I've said it before, you know, I think there's... We saw in the, the City game that ultimately, you playing out from the back, you're always likely to be put under some pressure. There's always that danger there. We've seen a couple of occasions this year with Huddersfield that... Against Chelsea, against Swansea away, that they've lost the ball from from the goalkeeper playing through the defence, and I just think at some point you have to you know take it into context and just say, "We're you know we're potentially struggling. We need to potentially change it up." I applaud them. I think it's the right approach where possible, but I think equally you have to take it, um, you know, in the correct scenario and context.
1: Yeah, I I think it's a really difficult one because I think that you you look at the way that they want to play and and, and and it's it's refreshing for a team in the bottom half of the table. You've seen Bournemouth do it in the past and um, Huddersfield have come up and, and rather than try and change things, they've tried to sort of stick with what they had and I, I'm I'm really torn because the minute they start going along is the minute that the ball is turned over more um, and the minute that they start going along from those goal kicks, you are sometimes inviting more pressure onto you. They've got a big striker up front in um, De Potra who you would have thought would be good enough in the air to try and win a few of those flick-ons but possibly the issue is the lack of pace supporting him yeah. um I know that, that the likes of Tom Ince who will drift in and out of games would hope to get onto a few of those but I I'm still completely sore on it I think that Huddersfield fans as much as they'll be frustrated about the fact that they've conceded in this manner again you don't want to throw your footballing principles out the window because of certain issues and errors um Yes, it's the third time it's happened this season and therefore maybe they need to think about it a little bit but it, it, it's just about game management and, and, and doing it at the right times and I wouldn't necessarily look at that West Ham team and think I'd be frightened about playing out the back because the likes of... But teams will pinpoint it going yeah.
0: forward. They'll continue to pinpoint it. So, so you know, it's irrelevant who you play in because it, it becomes more predictable. So you naturally get two, three, four players as soon as the keeper gets the ball right push up 10 more yards than you normally would do. Watch where the centre-backs are going when they're pulling out wide of the box for the goal kicks and just get on it.
1: But then if that's the case, if people are pushing up to try and close them down, what's to stop that goalkeeper trying to just loft a 30, 40-yard pass over over those people? So maybe it's just a case of moderation as opposed to one or the other.
0: No, I agree. And I think, you know, come the end of the season, assuming and hoping that Huddersfield stay up, they potentially have that impetus then to go forward and sign... No disrespect to the current squad, but some of the better players that can uh, can carry out some of those um, tactics in a better manner.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I still I still think they'll be absolutely fine, yeah. Huddersfield. I think I think they've got more than enough to uh, to get through the sort of sticky patch that they've that they've experienced of late. So uh, onwards and upwards for the terriers. I agree, and I do
0: still think that that one of the promoted teams will be in trouble at the end of the year. Um, my New Year's prediction, I said that, and I think my biggest worry is Brighton, who. Lost 2-0 at West Brom and that was a massive win for West Brom. First win in 21 games.
1: Yeah, and they just set up in in, in a much more direct fashion. Yeah. I think Pardy's tried to play football since he's gone in there and you made a really good point prior to, to Christmas that anyone going in there is going to struggle because they've got Pulis-esque players yeah. um, and it's trying to untrain them and try and get them out of that mindset, which is difficult. And I think he's probably sort of got a bit desperate. I think he's accepted defeat, hasn't he? With that? Yeah, and thought actually what I need to do is get through the rest of this season try and keep this team in the Premier League and then in the summer maybe a, a bit of an yeah. overall if, if, he, if he's able to do it but really fast start and um, the atmosphere again at the Hawthorns was probably better than it's been all season the the, the fans were right behind the players from, from the first minute and it didn't look like an atmosphere which had been sort of looking for a win for the last 20 games it looked like a, a team who were on the up and that often does transpose onto the players onto the pitch and, and, and they were able to obviously take advantage of that and I think Jay Rodriguez deserves a massive amount of credit for the credit for the uh the header which led to the first goal.
0: Yeah. No, I think, you know, he um we, we've said numerous times that we haven't watched him for Southampton that we we really like his style you know he offers something different he's good on the floor he runs the channels well but he's good in the air as well he's got a good finish and I think he will um, thrive more so if they're going to continue to use this style of play where they can be a bit more direct they get the ball up to him they get the ball out wide and obviously use the set piece their advantages they did this weekend
1: yeah and you saw for the second goal uh, used used that set piece brilliantly and uh, the analysis that that they did on match today was was really interesting the way that they grouped players at the front post and then almost allowed craig dawson to have a run at that ball against somebody who was considerably smaller than him and um the only issue that west brom will have and and I think this could be the downfall is that teams will now look at the way that they're playing and they will naturally, when they play West Brom, they will go with a back three. They will put three big central defenders in there and they will look to combat them that way because they know that they they, they don't have a huge amount of pace in their side and Pardew's got to decide whether he wants to try and sort of slug it out playing poor football for the rest of the season or whether he does try and use the next two weeks to his advantage and bring some players in. But I... I personally still think it's going to be a bridge too far for West Brom I think I think they're going to struggle to to stay up um, and that's I, I, I get your point on Brighton but I just feel that the way that Brighton tend to lose games tends to be by one goal um, I know that obviously yeah, Saturday is yeah. different but they tend to keep it quite tight and all the time they're able to do that they will give themselves a chance at staying in the Premier League
0: no, it's going to be an interesting one to see. But I think just just to close off, obviously on West Brom, I think we've got to send our best wishes and thoughts to the family of Cyril Regis, who passed away last night. And he's he's a West Brom legend, it's fair to say, and he's part of the Three Degrees, um, famously alongside close friends Laurie Cunningham and Brendan Batson and whilst they weren't the first professional black players in the football league they were certainly seen as crucial figures in in the kind of acceptance and it was a very very difficult time socially and um you know it's great to see some of the work that he's done on and off the pitch and i, I think you look at the game now and the, and the influx of players from all over the world every different nationality race etc you know it started with those guys and that sort of era
1: yeah and quite a sort of uh well, controversial moment in the in the West Brom game on Saturday, obviously, which yeah. will which we'll wait to hear more about. But you would hope that that was just a misunderstanding between those yeah. two players, because there's been so much good work done, both on and off the pitch, in terms of um, trying to really kick it out. And and obviously, that's the name of one of the biggest campaigns in the UK. And you still see racism heavily throughout European football, and um, it, it's such a shame when you see anything like that. And uh, the, the sort of good thing about it nowadays is it does tend to be a minority where it does happen, but we're very fortunate in in England that you just don't really hear that in the in the, in the stands anymore. And and if you do, people tend to be brave enough to actually turn round to that individual and and sort of front up. And um that sort of reaction wouldn't be possible if it wasn't for the likes of Cyril Regis.
0: Indeed, nice one, Cyril. He was powerful. Great touch. Didn't score enough scruffy goals.
1: I used to say, when are you going to score
0: a scruffy goal? Every one of your goals can win goal of the month or whatever. Like, you know, when are you going to score an horrible goal where it just bounces off you and goes in and things like that? Here's Robertson. Regis taking it well on the chest and a lovely piece of control by Regis. Oh, and what a great shot! Oh, one of the goals of the season. Cyril Regis... Welcome back to the Sweep podcast. Let's talk championship. And the weekend started on Friday with the Steel City derby and fairly drab affair to be honest. It was finished 0-0. And then Saturday, the early game saw Cardiff triumph with a 4-0 win at home against Sunderland who are in big trouble it's fair to say. They are indeed yeah. And uh, as as well as it being a huge win for Cardiff who'd lost the last four, there was also a big win for Derby County and that was against Birmingham City at St Andrews where they won 3-0 and Birmingham really struggling as well Birmingham and Sunderland really really need to stop the rot otherwise they're both going to be in big trouble I think you know they're two clubs that can't really afford to go down
1: no you would sort of say that their off the pitch problems wouldn't necessarily help them come straight Not back up would would you?
0: no and while they're bringing up the rear Wolves still remain top however they were held at Oakwell where they uh, drew 0-0 with Barnsley and Leeds dropped out of the playoff places where they lost 1-0 away at Ipswich With Fulham edging closer to getting in those playoff places with a win away at Middlesbrough. And that was thanks to a 95th minute penalty score by Oliver Nord. And you would think that Tony Pulis would be absolutely fuming by anything like that.
1: Yeah, the cap will have gone flying, won't it?
0: (laughs) And then, of course, there was a 1 0 win for Aston Villa, who beat Nottingham Forest at the City Ground. And we were at a beer festival on Saturday, and they said they might be able to put the game on for us, put it on. We saw one kick and they turned it off and put the Spurs game on instead. So we had to go to a random pub uh, just round right the corner where there was I don't know, 10 people in there and certainly no one was watching our game, were they? Apart from us three. Well, apart from us three, we had a great time. and uh,
1: You had I, a great time.
0: I, I had a brilliant time, <laughs> yeah, I did. And yeah, you know, I was more than happy with the win. And Forrest came into the game off the back of the FA Cup win against Arsenal and also a new manager, Ita Karanka and I think you know they potentially had that new manager bounce that we were worried about, uh, but it wasn't to be. It was a strong start for us, and Scott Hogan headed home the only goal of the game, and shortly after that, John Terry hit the bar as, as well. And I was confident when I saw that starting lineup that we would going to have a good game because and i said to you instantly that's certainly our best back four and best midfield as well and having terry back there we just look a lot more solid and and that shows we've got nearly half our games this season have had clean sheets which is is massive for any club trying to get up but i think as as well as that you know we're starting to just get that little bit consistency back despite that there is still negativity on all the kind of boards and forums and that's still a worry and people still don't back steve bruce and i think even then you know if we get promoted they, people want him gone straight away for me i'm massively positive you know we i, I still don't necessarily see us getting the automatic uh promotion but the teams in and around us failing to pick up points and we've played the top 11 teams away from home as well which is is again potentially massive for us
1: yeah it's huge um i mean the championship's obviously it's a, it's a massive cliche but anyone can beat anyone can't they yeah. so I suppose regardless of who you've played you've got to concentrate on the next opponent and if you look too far ahead you've got a real danger of sort of becoming complacent and slipping out of there and um, I think if, if Bruce could get you a playoff position this season it would be seen as a positive, I, I know that there's fans <laughs> yeah. out there who who won't necessarily like his style of football, who, who, who don't like his managerial type but I think a lot of that deep hatred tends to come from the fact that he was a, an ex-Birmingham manager and a lot of people just haven't given him the chance that he deserves I agree well let's move on away from the championship and we get to go back to Germany
0: don't we but not so exciting though is it?
1: No um, so the uh, the Bundesliga was back with a bang this weekend yeah. and our boys D-Lads Hertha Berlin uh, were hoping to build on what was a really strong finish to the first half of the season and uh, they were looking up rather than down they could have gone joint fifth had they won this game However, they lost. They uh, they were defeated one nil away by Stuttgart. And there's not really a huge amount to tell you because it was a very very dull game. Mario Gomez played in this game. His uh, his return was heralded by the Stuttgart fans, and uh, he he produced a decent display. And it was an own goal which won it for Stuttgart. And um, it's been the way quite a lot with for this season. They've sort of gone on a, a little run and then shot themselves in the foot and yeah. and, and started to struggle. But they're uh, they they're still looking okay. They're still very comfortable in mid table, and they've got a big game against uh, Borussia Dortmund and uh, they'll be playing them at home on Friday so I think that's on BT Sport as well so uh, yeah have a have a look at that one it should be it should be a decent spectacle but the uh, there's there's not a huge amount more to say I mean Bayern Munich are still running away with the title and uh, not a lot else has changed in Germany
0: no well should we move on to the Premier League then
1: absolutely join us after the break it promises to be another special Champions League evening, and here to enjoy it all with us are Rio Ferdinand, Stephen Gerard and Ian Wright. All three have had their hands on this trophy. Rio and Stephen in Moscow and Istanbul, respectively, and Ian, when he walked into the studio, evening, <laughs> <laughs> I've been looking forward to that all day. <laughs> I just should have said when I walked into the studio, grab the back of your head.
0: <laughs> 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 oh, great. <laughs> Welcome back to the Sweeper podcast where we will discuss the rest of the Premier League and we are going to start at Vicarage Road Watford 2 Southampton 2 Michael Watford and the
1: officials two, Southampton <laughs> 2
0: it was uh, it was a game of two halves though very cliched but despite a quick start from Watford southampton looked to have the better of the first half and the channels were being used the first goal came from a shane long run getting in and the ball dropping for ward prowse and extremely calm and composed finish for his first league goal of the season
1: yeah i mean he's he scored the winner at fulham in the fa cup and um he's just sort of kicked on from there obviously two good finishes in this game both very similar in terms of the way that he he put them past gomez and uh he is one of these players who does tend to have quite a lot of composure when he's in that position. Struggled to score from open play for a long time, and then um, has looked better in the last few games because he seems to be getting forward a little bit more. And the the lack of Nathan Redmond in the team has given him an opportunity to sort of make that that space in midfield his own. There's not really a position that's that's set for Ward Prowse, but I think he does always do better on the right hand side. I think he's too lightweight as a as a central midfielder. And um, yeah, popped up with two good goals.
0: I've always rated him. I've always liked him. I think technically he's generally very very good and um consistent as well but i think overall his overall game's possibly where he lacks a consistency and i think you know he is obviously there and thereabouts for pretty much every set piece as well and and has been pretty much since his introduction as as a kind of 17 year old probably when he came into the team
1: yeah that's right about five years ago now when we came back into the premier league and um the, the the issue with ward prowse has always been his pace um and
0: you he is running in treacle. I yeah like and and there. and
1: it's it's incredibly noticeable and the the quicker the the game becomes the more it tends to leave him behind and I think that's obviously a part of his game that that he can't really work on. Um you're sort of born with that aren't you yeah. and 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 he hasn't got it. So that's where he has to think about the ways that he can impact the game differently and yeah he did this very well on Saturday. Um I think that we're going to have to get to it aren't we. We're going to have to talk well, about we, it but yeah, let's let's but, just talk about um what happened at halftime? Because that changed the game, didn't it? I think it did change the game, and I think you you know as
0: soon as Watford bring Troy Deeney on at half time, it's going to be a different side that come out. And I think Southampton having the better of the first half allowed Silver to make that change quicker. I think it was something that he had to do, and they went more direct. And there was that kind of air of inevitability that Watford were going to just be getting at it, getting in your face, and potentially going to get something from the game.
1: Yeah, I thought that that the introduction Deney did change the game, but I think that Southampton probably with the architects of their own downfall because, yet again, we just sat back. We decided that we had a two-goal lead this time rather than a one-goal lead, yeah. so it was nice of us to actually show a bit of attacking intent in the first half and get that second goal, but then we just did what we always do. We sat back ten yards deeper than we needed yeah. to do, and all that does is mean that any time that Watford picked the ball up, regardless of whether they're in their half or ours, a long ball is going to put it in an area that's dangerous and, and, and easy for Deeney to attack attack and you saw that there were a couple of individual errors from Southampton players in the build-up to both goals and that doesn't help things but then you would still expect a back four or five to be able to deal with those better I thought that Alex McCarthy made a great save for the first yeah. goal to be able to push that shot onto the bar from close range was um was fantastic and, and then you look at the reaction from the defense and it's just not there Ryan Bertrand stood within two yards doesn't even try to get near the uh the Watford players and um I think it's that lack of reaction that's that's particularly disappointing. You look at the second goal as well, and I I struggle to understand how the assistants missed it. I think that it was it was blatant, but then I don't think that the Southampton players helped themselves because there was only really one or two yeah, who that's, that's who bothered to appeal. Was,
0: I thought it was quite odd that not everyone was going for it. I don't know whether it was just because I think it was Bertrand that was on the kind of near side. I, I just don't know whether he couldn't see. And I think you know that in turn is possibly how the linesman didn't see as well the the kind of angle of his body is potentially that it looks like it's come off his off his head, whereas the guys the other side of him were the ones that were appealing. So that I think the keeper probably missed it as well. It, you know, I, I completely agree. It's an absolute joke. It's a, a travesty of a decision. Um, and I, I can completely see why you would like VAR to come in. And you know, you referenced an example from the cup final last year. And, you know, naturally, when it happens to your club, that's when you notice it a lot more as well. But for something like this, to happen in the last minute of a game and just, you know, the, the circumstances that it happens in, it just it's it's a very sore feeling, even for the neutral, to see that happen.
1: Yeah, and I think that, that you can look across the season and say that things even themselves out, but the difficulty is when it's something that blatant, it's hard to comprehend that that will happen to every team in the Premier League and... um. People say that you, that you that you make your own luck. Well, if you've got a system there that's available for use, and in this instance, it would have been a quick decision, would have been very easy yeah, to make, absolutely. and it wouldn't have delayed the game in any way. And I think that's where they've got to look at the the possibility of using it in the Premier League. I think that it's all well and good using it in, in, in a cup semi-final or in an FA Cup fourth round game. But realistically, until they implement it into the Premier League, we're still going to be having these discussions week in, week out.
0: Can I ask why Pellegrino is wearing goalkeeper
1: gloves? Um, they're not goalkeeper gloves. As much as they look, they like, look goalkeeper like goalkeeper gloves, gloves. gloves, yeah, they're not. Um, and, and and on Pellegrino, I think that he needs to shoulder a lot of blame for this because the the tactics that he continues to um try and instill in that team just just don't work. I think that the players themselves are are still playing for him, but I think that in terms of what he's trying to get across onto the pitch, it it just doesn't work. In and. The longer it goes on, the harder it becomes to see any real way out of it. And and, and the club are going to have to make a decision at some stage. I think if we lose at home to Tottenham on on Sunday, I I think that, that they might have a decision to make.
0: Yeah, I think it's going to be a very interesting one, and, and we'll we'll get on a, a little bit later on about managerial uh, sackings and and new people coming in, and I think that's potentially my question mark about Southampton losing their manager at this stage of the season, not necessarily having replacements ready-made there, but we shall see. We will move on now to another South Coast club, Bournemouth 2, Arsenal 1, and I think before the game, there was the, the big story that Alexis Sanchez wasn't in the squad for Arsenal, um, and you know, it's 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 big news that one of their best players and one of the best players in the league is gonna leave that club. It's fairly inevitable that that's happening the next day or so.
1: Yeah. And just talking about that, I think that um if if reports are be to believe that he's been offered three hundred and fifty thousand pounds a week by Manchester United, then You can't really blame him. Um, No, not at all. I think that in terms of going to City, he's probably not going to get first-team football guaranteed because the players that they've got in those positions are probably better than him. Um, I think it makes sense to go somewhere like United. I think that he'll probably get on quite well with Mourinho. And and if Mkhitaryan was to go the other way, I don't necessarily think that's a bad move either. But I think that it will hopefully close what's been a book which has almost been never-ending in terms of his future. And... um, I think that it will hopefully offer Arsenal fans a chance to move on because it's really sort of hung over their season for far too long and people have said that no one player is bigger than the club and I think that's, that's absolutely spot on. However, if that's the case, then you shouldn't allow it to impact your season in the way that they have done. And um, I I want to talk about Bournemouth. I want to I talk about how Eddie Howe absolutely nailed his substitutions yesterday and that changed the game. But Arsenal have become so predictable and you looked at yeah. that lineup at the start of the game yesterday and if I was a Bournemouth player or if I was any Premier League player going into that match there would have been no fear whatsoever you look at the lineup and there's nobody in there who you think well I don't want to face him and that's what Arsenal have become and if they're not careful they're gonna detach themselves far too much from that top four and and and, and the gap could widen even more and that's when it starts being harder and harder to attract players to come in Absolutely, yeah. you know they are becoming uh, an average side. It's fair to say, and you
0: know they they impress us probably one game in five now. And it used to be that you you got a fairly consistent performance from Arsenal, and you know consistent to the point where they finished kind of third, fourth, fifth, tops really. Um, now you kind of question them whether they're going to finish in the top six at all if this continues and that's a that's a big worry really big worry
1: it is and, and the one season that Arsenal have finished in the top two recently was the season when Leicester won the Premier League and everything was completely out of kilter you yeah. had Chelsea and Liverpool who were miles away from from anything Southampton finished in the top six and it's been a long time since you've really seen them make any sort of title challenge and um, we've both got a lot of time for Arsene Wenger. We're we're fully behind him in terms of what he's done for the Premier League. But I just wonder whether a change is needed there. Um, and I, I don't know what the what the answer is. I think that Thomas Thomas Tuchel has been been linked as 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 Carlo Ancelotti. But I think really Wenger makes the decisions there. And I think it will be on his watch when he goes, as opposed to the uh, the Arsenal board.
0: Same as Ferguson, but Manchester United, very similar to that. You know, if they were in this situation, you still wouldn't see them sacking Ferguson. And I think there's possibly more issues further behind the scenes as well in Arsenal. Um, But as you say, Bournemouth, fantastic. Um, They took advantage of Arsenal massively. Even when they went 1-0 down, you still knew that there was something left in the game for them to get something from. And they did. And and a 2-1 win lifts them up to 14th and you know that kind of lower half of the table there's still only four points between Everton in ninth and and Brighton in 16th and then even below then there's kind of one point for each position so it's still ridiculously close and really anything could happen like genuinely there's 10 clubs that could conceivably go down and I think maybe in another five games time that that reduces to You know, six, seven clubs, and I think you know you said on Saturday about Southampton. The disappointing thing was kind of where you would have been if it was for for three
1: points. Yeah, I think it would have taken us up to about eleventh, and um, that's the the nature of the Premier League this season is that nobody seems to be able to string a decent run of results together in that bottom half, other than the likes of Palace and West Ham. And when they've done it, you've seen how much of a difference it's made to their season. They've both gone from bottom three into comfortably sort of eleventh and twelfth positions. I think they're in something like that. So. Yeah, I, I I get the importance of the win, and I think that um, Bournemouth fans will be relieved at, at the fact that they've been able to pull off a, a, a victory. And obviously, coming from behind is is difficult against a perceived top six side because naturally you would expect them to be able to defend the lead better than, than than Arsenal did. And I think that Eddie Howe's come in for a lot of flat this season and we didn't really know which way Bournemouth were were going to go when they were struggling. And sometimes it it makes perfect sense to stick with the manager because he knows the players, he knows yeah. the setup and um I, I can I can see it both ways. You look at the clubs who have made changes and they've obviously done very well in, in in the majority Um, but equally you look at Pardew Carvajal going in at Swansea is probably too early to judge him but they've not exactly pulled up trees so um, it's a really difficult decision to make for any board but I think that Bournemouth will will always stick by Eddie Howe and I I can't see them making a change between now and the end of the season I'm still not 100% sure they've got enough but this is a great springboard for them to sort of get to where they want to be
0: absolutely and you mentioned consistency there and Crystal Palace possibly the most consistent of all and you know, a one 0 win a, a against Burnley at home is, is is seen as a really good result nowadays. You know, Burnley have done very well away from home, and they make it very, very difficult for you. And for for Palace to not only win the game but also win with a clean sheet is is a massive step for them. And I think you know they're becoming more and more comfortable in this league. And you look at the side on on Saturday; they started both Benteke and Sacco. and Sako, out of the two of them, was was probably the key player. But Benteke starting to get those chances as well. And you just think. It's a matter of time before they do start winning even more comfortably as well.
1: Yeah, possibly. I think that the the difference that Sacco made when he came on against Southampton um in the midweek game a couple of weeks ago was enough to give him a start in this game, I think, yeah. that 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 he deserves that place. And um it's it's interesting to see Hodgson stick with a two up top. You saw him um look at it when obviously both Benteke and Sako were out of the team and, and he had Townsend and Zahar up front and he's managed to Replace those two with two actual centre forwards, Very different players. Yeah, from those two. but they just have so much pace and power in that side, and I, I don't think there's a stronger, quicker team in the Premier League. the The way that the uh, the Burnley back line dropped off the minute that. That the uh, that the Crystal Palace players were going at them was testament to how much respect they have for for the problems that those players could cause them, and and you saw that in abundance on Saturday. Really good finish from Sacco for the goal. I think Pope possibly could have done a little bit better, yeah. um, but then chances were created, and and I did I forget who put the ball in for the cross, but there was one where uh, Sacco hit a volley was- from
0: desperate for it to go in yeah
1: if that goes in that's that's a goal of the season contender because yeah. it was uh, it would have been an absolute sanction as well it would have been up there yeah, wouldn't it <laughs> it would have took the
0: bloody net off
1: yeah. uh, but Burnley as ever you know they're,
0: they're resolute in defence and they do really put their bodies on the line but yeah you know Crystal Palace on another day two or three up at half time and, and potentially stretch that lead even more so I think two clubs that are struggling and would have desperately wanted another result Newcastle and Swansea one all. And you would say Swans will no doubt be the happier of the two, uh, particularly when you consider the amount of chances Newcastle were in early doors.
1: Yeah, and I think it was a result that does neither club any favors. No, and and you look at where Newcastle would have sort of highlighted games that they could have got victories from, and this would have certainly been one of them. And um, I I just struggled to put my finger on it with Newcastle because we've talked about Benitez and 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 how good he is at making a. Relatively poor team in terms of quality organized and they just looked all at sea defensively Newcastle, and yeah. so did Swansea at times it was It was two teams who weren 't in particularly great form coming up against one another and almost cancelling each other out and the The quality of defending for both goals was highlighted and should have been because there was so much more that they could have done to uh, to avoid them and i I don't know what's going on at Newcastle. Benitez has obviously said that he's got no idea what his transfer budget is. He he can't identify targets because he doesn't know whether he's going to be able to go out and buy them. And that's not helpful for anyone. You would have thought that the logical step for somebody to take in that club would have just been to say, right, here's 15 million or, or, or here's 10 million. Or actually, you can't do anything unless you get rid of players. Yeah. And, and then at least he's got 30 days to work with and, and, and he can explore possibilities at the moment. He's completely left in limbo. And it's just... Seems to be translating to the to the fans, and they, they they seem to be getting anxious about the situation. And it's just not a good it's just not a good thing. They've worked so hard to get back into the Premier League, and if they were to go down again, you just wonder how long it's going to take them next time to get back up.
0: And they do need to strengthen as well. They absolutely need to strengthen. Both sides, you know, as we say, look poor and. I think there could have been more goals in this game if it wasn't for the fact that they couldn't finish them. Um, you know, they were unlucky not to get a penalty when Diarmi lifted his arm for the ball, and you know that's possibly going into penalty in a red card if so as well. And you think Newcastle down to to ten men could have really crumbled. And I think you know they'll they'll be happy with the draw at the end of it. But and to see Hossley get a goal, the ever prolific <laughs> Um I mean, it's a great finish to be fair to him. But yeah, as we say. A draw just does not suit them at all.
1: No, and I think I think it's important to to sort of give Swansea a bit of credit. the The last couple of away games that they've had, they've picked up four points, yeah. and um, having not picked up much on the road all season, that will obviously be a plus for them. But they need to start turning those good performances into wins, and that's the the issue now is is that they may well have had that new manager bounce from from Carvajal going in there, and they've they've got to look at how they can string performances and and results together throughout the rest of the season and that starts for me with bringing in a good striker because all the time that they're creating these chances unless they've got somebody up there who's able to finish them it's not really going to do them a huge amount of good
0: absolutely and nobody finished at Stamford Bridge where as we alluded to at the start of the podcast a, a nil nil draw you know not a lot to say on this I think Leicester though probably the best best side of, of the, the two. Uh, I think they were very unlucky not to get anything. Uh, there was a, a penalty decision that, that they didn't get. I don't think, personally, it was a penalty. I think Christensen was on the floor for so long before Maraz hit him that he probably had a chance to, to get out of the way. But equally, when you move into that sort of pace, it's it's difficult not to touch the defender.
1: Not only that, but I think um, Michael Oliver's potentially considered Riyad Mahrez's, um style of play um, and, his, and his reputation almost as probably not going to get you that type of penalty and I, I think that you're right, I don't think it was a penalty I think Leicester deserved much more from the game, they created more chances, they seemed far more up for the game than Chelsea did and um Chelsea and, and, and Conte will be frustrated because by Liverpool winning um and Manchester United potentially could get three points tonight, that's possibly going to move Chelsea down to fourth whereas they were looking pretty pretty comfortable in second up, yeah. until, up until probably seven days ago so yeah, I, I As much as it was probably not the the greatest of games, I think it shows how far Leicester have come under Claude Puel and I think that they will be um, probably looking forward to to a transfer window in the summer where he's able to really put his stamp on that club because you would imagine Mares probably would leave in the summer and, and, and it gives him an opportunity to spend a bit of money and bring in somebody who he feels is able to replace him. I think Chelsea, as we've said before, were
0: potentially lacking from that that kind of freshness. Um, it took Willian to come on and and just have that little bit of pace to the game. But I think they 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 are going to struggle, as we've said numerous times this season, on the the kind of squad depth. And I think you know the pundits have alluded to it. I think even Conte himself alluded to it. The players just look tired, um, and and you worry whether that's going to kind of derail their season.
1: But like we've said so many times, if you don't play your substitutes, if you don't give them the opportunity to play, then um, you've only really got yourself to blame. You've got that squad. You know what your squad is at the start of the season. Um, if you want to do something about it, then you've had two weeks in which to bring a player in. So I I, I don't necessarily buy that. I think that, that you've you've... Everyone's tired at this stage of the season. Everyone has the same size squad. If you had problems with your with your squad depth and quality, then don't send as many players out on loan. Keep hold of them. Um, and I think that's something that Chelsea will have to address when, when Conte goes, because there's no point bringing in players and loaning them out and paying part of their wages for three or four years just to then let them leave on a free to somebody else.
0: Very true. And as you mentioned just, Manchester United do play tonight. They are playing Stoke, who
1: have a new manager. They have got a new manager and I'm going to let you sort of talk us through this one because you know a lot more about Paul Lambert than I do. I think on the face of it, it's a um, <laughs> solid, if unspectacular, appointment and I know that there's been a lot of ridicule on, on social media uh, about about the appointment but then the way that we looked at the, the Moyes appointment and also possibly the Roy Hodgson appointment at Palace, they weren't seen as the most exciting managers possibly, but they've both done really good jobs. So who knows? It could be the turning point that Stoke need. What are your thoughts on it?
0: So they, I mean, they went for Kike Sanchez-Flores who rejected them and I thought that it came from a little bit left field for me. I I wasn't expecting that, but I thought it was a, a good approach. It was something that, was, was potentially a little bit more long term and I think they obviously were willing to put some faith into someone who did a very good job at Watford you know he was very unlucky not to still be there really um, and then Martin O'Neill rejected them and, and that was obviously what I said I, I think last week and that made sense for me as a, a short term and then Gary Rowett signed a new contract at Derby and then Paul Lambert I genuinely looked on Twitter earlier saw he was trending and just did not for a minute think that it was an actual appointment I thought he might have been linked and and I was really surprised but having said that knowing him from his, his days at Villa really unlucky to be in the situation he was in at that point and did a good enough job with Wolves they were obviously going in a different direction did a good enough job with Norwich as well so I, I can see the logic there I, I just think it, there's that potential that he might not necessarily be the inspirational guy to come in and, and turn the, the favours around in that, in that squad you know they what Stoker lacking at the minute is some real kind of passion and urgency and I'm not entirely sure he's the one to bring that out in them.
1: Yeah, well we'll see, won't we? Tonight's obviously um I I don't think he's gonna be in the dugout for tonight's game. Talking of tonight's game, can we get a, a little prediction from you? I predict that Manchester United will
0: unspectacularly
1: win two nil. Okay. I'll you? uh I was gonna I was gonna go with one nil. So uh sounds sounds very similar. Now um I think we've got one part left, haven't we? We're going to uh, going to go on to the quiz in a second, and uh, Mitch has got a chance to stretch his lead even further. You Welcome back to the final part of this week's Sweeper podcast and it's time to go to the quiz. But before we do that, we just need to give you a little reminder about our live event. So Friday the 2nd of February down at Leeds Beckett University in Leeds City Centre. We've got the football quiz and uh, we've got a couple of tables left. They are going like hotcakes. So if you would like to, to come down then please get in, in contact with us, we can reserve you a table. It's a maximum of six people per team. And it'll cost you two pounds to enter the quiz. So Mitch per is gonna two, two yeah, per sorry, two pounds per person uh, to enter the quiz. Mitch is gonna let you know how you can get in touch with us and do that.
0: You can get us on Twitter at the Sweeper Pod. Search us on Instagram and Facebook at the Sweeper Podcast and email us at thesweeperpodcast at gmail dot com. And of course, as ever, listen on iTunes and SoundCloud. But on iTunes, subscribe, rate and review and it's been great to see over the last week or so. We've actually had some some new listeners, so welcome to them. Uh, we've hit the airwaves in South Africa and Japan, I believe, this week as well.
1: Going global,
0: we are going global indeed, and it'd be great to get some uh, some more feedback and come back to us with some answers for the quiz as well. Your thoughts for the quiz, and we actually had a belated uh, one after the Christmas episode from uh, Edward Ashton, who said uh, Gifton Noel Williams as a, a potential player that we could have, and that's a double Christmas entry. It's a got. double whammy. Save it for next year, indeed. And I think we had some people get in touch as well around Mike's rage at uh, not having the most successful quiz last week. Yeah, I
1: think we had three or four different people get in touch and let us know that they thought that the uh, the reaction to getting those questions wrong about Norwich last week was one of their favourite parts of the show so far. So um, I'm going to hope for a similar reaction from you today, Mitch, because Brilliant. your questions are all about Millwall. Oh, my word. Yeah, right, okay. I've gone there. I'm sorry. I've, uh, I've had to dig deep into the question banks. I couldn't really figure out who we'd had so far and who we hadn't. Um, so
0: I can guarantee we did not have Millwall, that's for sure. That's very right, true. Okay.
1: So, the first question, as always, is what is the capacity at the den? You've got 1,000 either way.
0: 25,400.
1: You've gone big. It's not that big. Is it not? Only 20,146 people can fit into the den um, legally. So, the next question is all about goals. Right, okay. Who is... Millwall's record goal scorer with 138 goals in all competitions. Neil Harris. Is correct. Boom. I thought you might have gone Teddy Sheringham there. No, nope, Neil Harris. Right. Millwall are considered to have six main rivals. Six. Okay. Can you name three of them? Charlton. Correct. Crystal Palace. Correct.
0: And... How many guesses do I get? Just three. Oh, f-
1: Chelsea. Incorrect. Right. I can't believe you've not got their uh, the biggest rivalry. West Ham. Yes, Mitch. Unbelievable. So you should be getting
0: four guesses there, but never mind. West, West Ham, Ham
1: Palace, Charlton, Leeds, Portsmouth and Gillingham. Right. Okay. Were your Fair answers. Enough. And the next question is which former Millwall chairman restored the Lion to the badge in nineteen ninety nine?
0: Theopathetis.
1: Correct. That's two points. I'll take that. And the final question: What record did Millwall break in the FA Cup final against Manchester United in 2005?
0: Record did they break? Uh, they. I, I have no idea. What year? 2005?
1: Yeah, they lost 3-0 against Manchester United.
0: Was it the most goals conceded?
1: It wasn't, no. Um, It was Curtis Weston, who was a a substitute for Dennis Wise, became the youngest FA Cup final player in in history. Uh, He was only 17 years and 119 days old, and uh, that record had stood for 125 years.
0: Well, bloody hell, Curtis Weston, you whippersnapper
1: two points though i take
0: that I'm all over that I was expecting a hell of a lot worse so yes eighteen fifteen in total then
1: marvellous happy days
0: happy days indeed well thank you very much that was an absolute pleasure and we hope you enjoyed and as we said get in touch with us it'll be a pleasure to hear from you
1: indeed it will thank you very much for listening and uh, we look forward to speaking to you all next week see you soon bye goodbye <laughs>